Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. I'm my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell, here in tropical Costa del Kerry. How are things with you, Patty? How is all in the capital? It's positively fantastic. But if you ever say "as capital again, As capital. You're, getting, <laughs> you're getting the bullet. Um, oh. All our viewers may be aware that... Uh, we're on a different medium here now because Zoom has just fucked us. Doesn't she doesn't care? And it goes, oh yeah, you normally record your podcast on Zoom. Yeah, we're not going to work. We're going to just turn off, not function. So we're here on secondary method, and um, but that's all irrelevant because we're going to get stuck into the topic. And the topic today is what, Gary? Blood pressure. The basics of blood pressure. So basically. The reason we wanted to discuss this is because blood pressure is one of those things that a lot of people will hear in conversations related to their health, whether you've been to your doctor, it's probably one of the first things that they'll kind of screen you for. Um, it's something you'll have heard in relation to nutrition, probably, and something you may have heard in, in relation to, to training. And even in kind of more common everyday conversations, the topic of blood pressure comes up a lot. You know, when you hear someone say, oh, I, I'm stressed, my blood pressure was, was through the roof, or you see someone that looks real red and you're like, oh, that guy's blood, blood pressure's through the roof. Those types of things, you may have heard them um, said, but you may not necessarily understand exactly what blood pressure is, why it's actually an important thing to, to understand, uh, and, and what the kind of normal ranges are. You know, I think that's kind of an important thing to understand how it's regulated, how exercise and nutrition affects blood pressure. Um, and they are all things that we'll be touching on in this episode and in uh, subsequent episodes to come. Yeah, and I should just point out at this stage that this is part of our, we'll call it our cardiovascular series that we're running at the moment. Um, so if you haven't already, I do recommend going back and listening to the previous two episodes on the heart that we did. Um, and this is because a lot of this stuff, it, it mingles together. It's not. It's not like you can just target very specifically one system and then not have effects in another system. Like again, that's not how the body works as a whole. Like something that happens in one system generally tends to affect other systems. And if we're talking about a system itself, the cardiovascular system, then obviously trying to impact one section of it, i.e., you know, the heart adaptations, which we talked about previously, that does tend to affect other things in the system overall right so definitely go back and watch or listen to those episodes if you have not already and um, because there's some things that are discussed in this episode and the subsequent episodes that you know you kind of need the background knowledge for anyway gary blood pressure we touched on it before but what is it um how is it you know like why is it important how is it regulated give us a brief rundown yeah so like first things first i think it's important to just understand like what, what actually is blood pressure like you said and very, like very simply thinking about it, we're basically talking about the pressure that is going to be exerted um, on the walls of your blood vessels when you're essentially when your heart is beating. Uh, it's not just when your heart is beating, but that's typically we typically talk about pressure with reference to the heart itself. Okay, so the the reason that's important is because as we have discussed in previous episodes, is that the the systolic phase, okay, of the cardiac cycle that's when your heart is ejecting. So that's when it's pumping out blood. The diastolic phase is the filling phase when your heart is filling up with blood. That's the real simple way we can think of this. Go back to previous episodes if you're not familiar with that terminology, okay? 
So then when you think about uh, a blood pressure measurement, what we're actually typically looking at is one number over the other, systolic being the top number. That's basically the pressure within the vascular system, within your blood vessels, when the heart is ejecting. And then you've got your diastolic blood pressure, the bottom number, which is the pressure within those vessels when the heart is filling. Okay, so that's why that's typically lower because the ejection, the contraction is what increases the blood pressure and makes the top number greater than the bottom number. If that top number was not greater than the, than the bottom number, you'd be in a bit of a bad situation because blood flow would basically have stopped or be moving in the in the wrong direction. Okay, so, so when we talk about blood pressure, like the first kind of start basic understanding, like the most fundamental thing is just, right, this is just kind of the pressure within the blood vessels, right? That's the real simple way of understanding it. But you can kind of get a little bit more technical on it and it helps you to understand um, subsequent things that we will discuss and how this relates to to the heart beating, etc. Okay, so blood pressure, like typically, if you're going to look at it, a kind of a simple way of, of, of explaining it or describing it, it's cardiac output multiplied by total peripheral resistance. So they're the two things that are primarily affecting a blood pressure reading. Okay, so cardiac output is something that we discussed in the previous episode, and that's effectively the amount of blood that is pumping around your body, uh, typically described in a, in a given minute, okay? So that's typically calculated as heart rate multiplied by stroke volume, with stroke volume being the amount of blood pumped out per beat. So you don't have to remember all that. All you need to know is that cardiac output is the amount of blood that's being pumped around the body. So in instances where you have an increase in cardiac output, such as during exercise, if that was to take place without a change in total peripheral resistance, the second part of that equation, you would have an increase in blood pressure, okay? So more blood within the system, more blood trying to flow through, you get an increase in the pressure. And that's kind of intuitive. If you think of uh, you're using a garden hose, you turn up the amount of water that's coming out, that's going through a fixed, um, a fixed vessel, a fixed hose, the flow begins to increase usually there's more pressure um, on the actual the walls of that hose so that's kind of the cardiac output side of things so as i said that increases during exercise i said if total peripheral resistance didn't change blood pressure would begin to hugely increase but during exercise what's interesting is that the total peripheral resistance which is effectively the resistance against which the heart has to pump the blood that actually typically decreases in something like aerobic exercise. So when you're beginning to do something like aerobic exercise, the resistance in the blood vessels actually decreases because you get vasodilation, so you get widening of your blood vessels. And as a result, we don't see that massive increase in blood pressure that we might expect if we were to just look at the cardiac output side of things. So I think exercise is an interesting lens through which you can understand blood pressure because it helps you to see that there's the cardiac output side of things, the amount of blood that's being pumped around the body, um, but there's also uh, the side, the, the resistance side of the equation. So that can kind of help you to understand some of the variables that then might start to affect someone's blood pressure reading. Because for example, if you start to have uh, some sort of stimulants, some stimulants can actually increase total peripheral resistance. They can call your, cause your blood vessels to contract. Um, but what can also happen then is that they also increase your heart rate, which increases cardiac output, and hence you see those increases in blood pressure. Okay, so that's how this kind of starts to play into things. But before getting to that sort of stuff, I think the re the thing that you need to understand is that like, why do we actually care about blood pressure in the first place? 
Okay. Before um, you go on to that, right? I just want to get this clear for my stupid monkey brain, yeah. right? So we've got cardiac output mm -hmm. and we've got, generally I see it described as like systemic vascular resistance and yeah. arterial okay. stiffness, right? And arterial stiffness, because again, like you have to, if we're going to be talking about nutrition later on, we do have to make sure that that is, you know, a point, right? But I just want to, like, I, I really like, well, it might, again, my stupid brain, when I think of it, I do actually use that kind of garden hose type analogy, right? Because if you were to just keep increasing, and again, this is why it is, it is quite illuminating to think of this through the lens of exercise, because it, it shows you just how much or how adaptable the body is, right? Because if you think of it just purely in terms of that garden hose scenario, right? If you just increase the cardiac output, right? You got your garden hose. Like there's a certain pressure. If your garden hose will just say is unbreakable, you can't, like nothing's going to fall apart. The nozzle isn't going to shoot off or the hole isn't going to burst or anything, right? If you were to pump water through that as much as possible, so that's the cardiac output side of things, right? So you're pumping water through that. If you were to do that, that hose, which is normally, you know, bent all over itself weaving around if you put more cardiac output through it the the stiffness of that hose like it would become more stiff right like it, obviously again like you put more water through it like it's going to be it wants to go into like a, a straight line as much as possible and you know be pressurized if you got if again if you could get it up to the stage where it was extremely pressurized it could almost be like a complete solid there's there's so much pressure built up there again if it's unbreakable right um, but that's not really what happens with the body, right? Because you don't see like you don't start getting an increase in cardiac output. You know, your heart isn't beating more, pumping blood around, and all of a sudden your your body stiffens up and all your arteries and everything like that doesn't happen, right? So you kind of start thinking like, wait a second, like what's actually going on here, right? And that's the kind of stuff that once you start putting it in a different context or a different analogy and start really realizing that. This stuff, like it's not behaving like a, a normal pressure system would behave. Then you start seeing all these other things start playing into it. And it actually makes it so much easier to understand when you just, again, detach for that second and kind of go, let me just put this in the garden hose setting and let me see what's what, what's what, what's going on. What would happen in a real world, like garden hose setting? And then what's actually happening in the body? And then if so, if there's a discrepancy between those two, what is like, why is that? Yeah, like that, that is an important, important kind of distinction, because if you think this solely in terms of like a mechanical system, um, it doesn't necessarily explain everything because it is a biological system we're dealing with. And fundamentally in the body, when we do get these increases in flow, we have different regulatory mechanisms that allow us to kind of maintain uh, pressure and make sure that things don't go awry. As you said, you know, you can have cases where when blood pressure is quite high, you can get aneurysms in different arteries, you know? So that's when the system begins to break down where you do actually get that swelling of arteries. Um, and that can be quite a problem if they're in the brain or in, in the aorta, they can, be, they can be problems for sure. But normally in normal healthy individuals with, you know, normal connective tissue in their vasculature and stuff like that, and then they're in good health. What we typically see is that those changes in flow that you get, you know, as if you're turning up the hose, the stress and the pressure, so the force of the blood pushing out on the vessel wall, 
and also the force of the blood rubbing against the vessel wall. Um, both of those forces tend to lead to what's basically you could call stress-induced relaxation. So you get relaxation um, of the endothelium, basically those cells that line um, those vessels, because it, like, it's not just like these are tubes, inert tubes, like the, this is a living system. These vessels are covered with live cells that are responsive to forces. So, you know, just like your muscles respond to force uh, by adapting, so too do your blood vessels. So acutely, if we were to increase flow and we get all those forces acting on your blood vessels, um, different mediators within that system will allow for dilation. So we get widening so that things basically don't go awry, like you said. So within the body, like we've got kind of short and long-term mechanisms of regulating that, you know, those that, that within vascular regulation can occur purely due to the force. Um, but what, we, what we've also got kind of regulating that system are things related to like total blood volume, you know? So if, you're, if you've got suddenly this, this huge increase in flow, your kidneys will actually begin to sense that change in flow, the change in volume, the change in osmolarity or, or the composition of different ions and salts and stuff like that, that are hitting the kidney. And basically your kidney has different cells that are able to basically sense that, they sense those changes and that activates a system or an axis that we call the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone axis, okay? Um, and that, that's part of this. The kidney also has other mechanisms of regulation, uh, but ultimately that's one of the things that you'll hear come up a lot of the time when we talk about regulation, because basically what that system or axis is designed to do is to sense what sort of changes in blood volume and salt composition essentially are coming to the kidney, then release mediators that allow for sodium and tension, um, or vice versa to stop those mediators being released and stop that occurring. Basically, if our blood pressure is going up or down, okay. So if you if you suddenly have uh, a rapid drop in blood pressure, you'll get an increase in the mediators that are allowing us to re retain more water and salt. Um, so to help effectively help maintain your blood volume, maintain your blood pressure. And when those systems are no longer effective, that's when that's when you start to see elderly people have uh, instances of things like orthostatic hypotension. So that's basically when someone gets up out of bed in the morning. You know, we all experience this at times. You get up out of the bed in the morning or you get up off a chair and suddenly you feel real dizzy. Um, and the reason for that is effectively because once you stand up, your blood pressure basically just drops and you get a, a decrease in in the the perfusion of your brain um, and you've got these receptors these receptors within your carotid arteries you've also got them um, in your aortic arch so in different blood vessels around the body you've got receptors that basically change that basically respond to that drop in blood pressure and basically what we get then is an immediate increase in the sympathetic nervous system activity so your kind of stress response and you also get an increase in the activity um, of those regulation mechanisms mechanisms in the kidney so basically what we're saying here is like this is a really complex system. There's so many things regulating it from the individual tiny little cells in the vessel wall to different mechanisms in the kidney to mechanisms in the brain. And all of this in a normal context is helping us to maintain our blood pressure despite these kind of perturbations that are experienced when we're getting up out of bed. Um, you know, it decreases when we're sleeping, it increases when we're exercising, it increases when we're stressed. So lots and lots of different things going on in a normal healthy individual. So. It's not just a static thing for sure. Yeah, and one of those things that I always kind of, again, I said it in the, the, the cardio episode, the, the previous one we did, where you need to think of blood 
like not like a static thing like it's not just like oh it's red blood cells like blood does contain quite a lot of stuff you know and then it also contains it in varying concentrations so again like sometimes you can have uh, more of a certain you know solute like uh, uh, salt or something um, and you can also have less liquid if that makes sense like less water in your blood so this is how you start seeing again we're going to go into it in the, the next episode but how you start seeing how certain dietary things or you know training methodologies or you know whatever it is how do you start playing into the system because if you're like okay this system is influenced by what's in your blood it's sensing you know what's in your blood the the salt concentrations and stuff in your blood and you're like okay so maybe what i eat salt wise plays a role in it now it's a little bit more complex as you'll see as we get into it but this is the kind of stuff that you have to be thinking when you're when you're listening to stuff like this or reading stuff like this because it is very easy to kind of go yes blood pressure just read through it and not put two and two together but you know you, you need to be looking at this from the perspective or listening to this or whatever from the perspective of okay they said that they said blood influences this they said the kidneys you know what what am i doing what what does the kidney actually do you know what 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 influences the amount of salt in my blood you know like you need to be thinking like making those connections in your your head now or like for example we said earlier on we're like arterial stiffness or you know systemic vascular resistance and stuff like that you can be like okay well i, I heard blood pressure goes up when you do something like a a leg press or maybe something like a, an overhead press overhead press and you'd be thinking in your head being like like, why would that be the case you know and obviously we're going to cover more of this stuff in a further episode but i want you to keep yourself engaged when you're listening to this in terms of like actually asking yourself questions and kind of going i thought i understood blood i i thought i understood blood pressure but there seems to be a little bit more to it right and you will see as we go through this that there it's not all as it seems straight off the bat you know like because this stuff has short-term and long-term you know regulation something that you know potentially raises your your blood pressure transiently could reduce it chronically right and it, you can kind of get you know lost when you look at stuff in the the short term but n don't actually put it in the context of you know your entire life you know and again especially if you don't put it in the context of like this is what humans were designed to do like we're designed to experience these changes in blood pressure you know we're designed to experience increases in blood pressure drops in blood pressure and your 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 system actually requires it <clears throat> like it's a requirement that your body exercises and by exercising you change your blood pressure you know um so don't think of this in terms of like oh high blood pressure is always bad right because you can have high blood pressure very transiently and it's helping you you know complete a lift or something you know so I want you to keep the, the, the framework of this in, in terms of, let me put this in context, what, what's actually happening in the body short-term, chronically, but also how is that influenced by other things that I can actually manipulate? And again, we'll get into that in a, a further episode. 100%. And, and to, to just kind of clarify exactly, you know, what, what sort of things could change the resistance component, I think that's worth doing just because I think... Uh, I think the cardiac output stuff, it's kind of more intuitive. It's like, all right, we got more stuff. We got more blood flowing through a hose, like, cool. But like what, what can actually affect this, this resistance component is, is something that's quite useful to understand. So a kind of applied example, which we'll touch further in the exercise episode. And um, we kind of mentioned in one of the other episodes, but you know, when you're resistance training, I think this is actually a really, a really easy way to understand how resistance can be increased within the system. Because when you're resistance training, particularly if you're using a Valsalva maneuver, 
Um, so with, that's basically where you take in a big deep breath and you hold it tight, you increase your intra-abdominal and intra-thoracic pressure. You basically increase the pressure of, of everything within your trunk. You're also contracting um, all the muscles in your body, like for example, if you're doing a deadlift. So as a result, your blood vessels are being compressed by the pressure uh, that you've that you've inhaled, um, but also that in the arteries within your muscles, your muscles are basically compressing um, your vessels along with all the the water in that region, the interstitial fluids, the body fat, etc. So basically, when you're contracting everything, everything is contracting in upon those blood vessels. So as a result, much like when we lift weights in the gym, um, and your biceps are under more resistance because you added more load. Your blood vessels are essentially also under more load in that case. They want to be compressed. They want to just kind of flatten. So as a result, if your heart is going to overcome that, what it needs to do is beat much, much harder. It needs to beat super strong and create a lot of pressure to overcome that resistance so that flow can be maintained to the tips of your fingers or the tips of your toes or your calf muscles that you're working or your biceps or whatever. So as a result, that's one, that's one means of increasing resistance. And as a result, blood pressure will be massively increased during resistance training acutely. So during a given rep that you do. So that's one way of understanding, okay, that, that's, that's resistance. But how about in other settings? So in other settings- Just before you go on to that, just this is also uh, like, this also helps you visualize how like adaptations occur over time. Because if you put your heart into a baby, right? They wouldn't have the vascular system that was, you know, built enough to deal with the amount of blood that that heart could pump out, right? And this is actually a, a, an issue they have with translating, if you're familiar with the, the research on like organoids and, you know, they're trying to make mini, you know, kidneys, hearts and different stuff like, like that's what we did a lot of, uh, or I learned a lot about that in uh, my final year of college and stuff. Um, but like trying, trying to translate from this effectively organoid that you've made in a lab, right, from whatever induced pluripotent stem cells or whatever, um, and trying to translate that into an actual, you know, organ that you could transplant into an individual, like it doesn't have the the vascular resistance. Like, yeah, okay, I can grow it to a certain size and maybe that size is enough that I can transplant it and then have it grow in your body. However, your vascular system has had your whole life to adapt to the pressures that your heart is able to pump out, right? If I just put it in an organ, that has never, you know, had to adapt to those pressures, it's just going to explode, right? So this is one of those things where you have to realize that what you have done previously impacts what you are able to do now. Like adaptions happen over time. And it is these short-term, you know, what seemingly transient effects, like this rise in blood pressure you get from exercising, you know? That's something that drives adaptations long-term so that you're actually better able to deal with changes in blood pressure overall, you know? Um, and again, this is something that people just genuinely forget because, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to think back to when you were a child, the first time you ever ran or did exercise in a meaningful way, you know, you weren't thinking of like, oh Jesus, like my my heart, my vascular system, it's adapting. Like you, obviously you were just playing football or whatever, you know? Um, but the adaptations happen over time and you have to keep that in mind. So you can't just look at this in terms of a, a snapshot. 
yeah no, and that is so important just just keep remembering like that this is a living system and just don't think of your blood and and your blood vessels as being like just this liquid within a pipe because that's really just not the case and, and it, it sort of ties in with what i was about to say next in terms of the the blood vessel adaptations that do happen over time obviously not all blood vessels are beneficial and other ways that that can potentially or other method mechanisms through which your resistance can be increased can be pathological or normal adaptations over time so when we age you know it's pretty normal that blood vessels begin to lose their compliance okay so they begin to change in terms of their structure in terms of the connective tissue structure and that can lead to an increase in resistance which is one of the reasons why blood pressure tends to increase as we age and, and rates of high blood pressure um, are, are higher um, as you get into your 50s and 60s and 70s you know um, so that that's one that's one thing just age-related changes another thing many people will probably be familiar with and you know you hear talked about all the time is is atherosclerosis or just plaques building up in the arteries okay so as your arteries begin to build up these these plaques if you think about what what kind of effect that's going to have if you've got something that's bulging out of the side of an artery that again is further resistance you know so those changes associated with atherosclerosis that's a means of increasing the resistance within an artery and that's particularly the case as that begins to advance you know if you've got 75 percent occlusion um, of an artery uh, that's one mechanism through which blood pressure can be increased because you basically got um, this this increase in resistance. You've got other things like uh, elevated uh, sympathetic sympathetic nervous system activity. Like that's something most of us are familiar with. You know, if you're if you're super stressed, uh, your sympathetic nervous system, your stress response, um, it's firing, and that can lead to constriction um, of your blood vessels. There's some different effects throughout the body, and it depends on whether you're exercising or not but uh, that can lead to constriction of the arteries. And because they're, again, living vessels, they're not just one, there's not just one circumference all the time, that is responding all the time to nervous system inputs. And then of course you can have different things like uh, more, more specific things, like you can have aortic stenosis. That's basically just when you've got uh, stenosis is just narrowing. So you can have narrowing um, of the actual valves within your, your aorta that big old blood vessel to which your your left ventricle is pumping. Uh, so you can have things like that. And, and some of these things are are genetic and, and can be inherited and can be affected by past diseases and stuff like that. So I think it's also important not to lose that when we're talking about uh, blood pressure. Uh, there are significant genetic influences, whether it be at the level of you know different cells within the kidney or the hormones that are that are in in that RAS axis that we discussed uh, whether it be your blood vessel uh, composition whether it be uh, having two valves instead of one in some of the in, in some of your your arteries all these things um, are, are super important uh, just just to keep in mind before you focus solely on lifestyle you know 100% Gary yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the basics of of like introduct, introductory concepts to right. What is blood pressure? You should hopefully understand, get have a vague idea of like right. What is blood pressure? What types of things are influencing it? And like you know, the thing to to actually ask then is why do you care? <laughs> you know what? Why do you even care? Obviously, high blood pressure is is probably the thing that tends to get more discussion, and, and rightfully so. Right? It is one of those things where. Low blood pressure can kill you in seconds, and high blood pressure is more of a chronic thing that will kill you. Um, but low blood low blood pressure is typically something that you know you kind of know if it's a big problem. 
okay because you might have had you know very significant uh fainting episodes or if it's actually associated with like a, a medical condition in the hospital and your blood pressure suddenly drops there are things that are like dealt with like real acutely like their their medical conditions um and, and more, more or less that's something that you know if you're suffering from severe blood pressure uh or severely low blood pressure hypotension you're fainting you know you're you're having really bad uh, effects associated with that that's something to just go to your doctor and discuss you know it's not there's not really yeah. just just on that i was actually talking about this with one of my clients over the weekend because he was saying you know when he's like relaxing in the sun and stuff and then he just stands up really quickly he does get like a very you know very serious like he's like oh i can't really see and you know, he feels lightheaded and stuff and like obviously like you don't really need to go to your doctor for that right like that's yeah. that happens to all of us especially if you do go from that kind of lying down relaxed uh, position and then you jump into like standing up or whatever and i was just telling him that one of my friends actually has like very acute drops in his blood pressure and he'll be doing something like he'll be like relaxed on the sofa downstairs maybe even playing fifa or something he'll just be relaxed maybe watching a movie and then he'll be like oh i need to go to the toilet and he'll stand up and he'll make it to the toilet which is just under the stairs but then he'll just pass out um <laughs> so he ends up like pissing on himself right <laughs> which is quite funny to slag him about but it's also quite serious because obviously he could you know faint yeah. and knock himself out and i don't know chip his teeth or fucking whatever off the toilet bowl which would also be kind of funny but at the same time quite serious um but obviously like in that case like he's been to the doctor and stuff it's just he's just really super fit um, and he has been his whole life and he just gets these like he basically knows that if he stands up really quick from being relaxed yeah. he's going to get it so he has to like sit up before he just stands up you know but obviously like that kind of stuff it's kind of funny but also it's quite serious you know like what, what like he could easily do that in a, the context of i don't know he's sitting in the car or something and acutely it just drops it just fucking passes out at the wheel you know and obviously that's not the exact same situation but obviously stuff like that can happen and obviously again he could fall bang his head off something and just be dead or brain dead you know for the rest of his life you know um so it is important however like you were saying that high blood pressure side of things does tend to get a little bit more airtime because it probably does affect more people and also it's a little bit more dramatic in its effect, right? Because I always think of the high blood pressure issues that come about, like they are, we'll call them bigger issues. Like I can't say it's a bigger issue than potential death, but um, like you could have a stroke or something, you know? Um, and obviously the people around you could see that due to an aneurysm because of high blood pressure, like chronic high blood pressure. Like I always think of the high blood pressure things, it's as if you're in a submarine, right? And there's this blood pressure outside, this high blood pressure outside. Like the submarine is under a lot of stress. And you can imagine if you're in a submarine and one of the rivets or the bolts just shot open and all of a sudden that submarine is pumping full of water, right? So that's quite a, a, an issue, you know? Whereas if you're like, oh yeah, we're in this system where there's low pressure outside. You know, if something happens, like the, the submarine a rivet pops or whatever, the water is going to come in nice and slowly. You know, it's not it's not as dramatic. It's not a, a, a seemingly as big of an issue, you know? So uh, yeah, that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, like the, the reason we want to focus more on high blood pressure, like because low blood pressure screams at you, you know? <laughs> as you just said, like when someone has like quite low blood pressure, like they kind of tend to identify it by, you know, having those symptoms. Whereas high blood pressure is more of a silent killer. You know, sometimes to be fair, in the elderly, when people are, you know, if someone is prone to falls, they might necessarily put two and two together and realize that it could be, you know, hypotensive episodes that they're having. But I, I think in general, 
high blood pressures probably warrants more discussion from our side of things in the health and fitness sphere. So yeah, yeah, especially especially in the context that there's actually a lot more you can do nutritionally, <laughs> lifestyle, training wise for high blood pressure. Like even if you're you're saying there, like blood pressure tends to change, like increase with age. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to offset that. Now, to what degree you can offset it, you know, it's up for debate. But there is a lot of stuff that you can do to offset that occurring, you know. And also, there's a lot that you can do if you are afraid, like potentially there's high blood pressure in your family. You know, you're a male, especially. And, you know, oh, my dad, my granddad, my uncles, they all had high blood pressure. And you're kind of worried about it. There is stuff that you can do now to get ahead of it. But there's also stuff you can do if you have been diagnosed with high blood pressure or you just, you know, use the blood pressure cuff yourself and you're like, oh, those numbers seem pretty high, you know, um, there, are, there, are, there is stuff you can do. However, with the, the low blood pressure stuff, there's not a huge amount that you can be like, you know, I'm actually just going to change my diet up and I'm just going to change my lifestyle up. It's like, like there's, there's not a huge amount you can do for that. Yes, sir. So high blood pressure, as I said, it's a bit of a, a silent killer, okay, because High blood pressure isn't typically associated with any symptoms outside of like uh, a hypertensive emergency. You know, you're not you're not typically looking at uh, the presence of any symptoms that you're going to be aware of. And as a result, a lot of people do go undiagnosed because people are just saying, you know, I feel fine. You know, why would I bother? And it it can also present problems in terms of actually caring enough to try and change your lifestyle or try and change. Uh, your treatments or adhere to treatments rather um, because you're like well I feel fine you know and it is one of those things where we are focused more when discussing hypertension that's a technical term for high blood pressure um, we're, we're focused a little bit more on, 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 on a surrogate marker okay so when you're treating when you're treating like a disease that you have you know someone has some sort of disease they're, they're like, yeah, I have this disease. This is, I'm, I'm treating this disease to make the effects worse. Whereas with high blood pressure, effectively, effectively what you're targeting is a surrogate marker for an event that's going to take place in, a in the future, okay? So when we say a, a surrogate marker, essentially what we're talking about is trying to change something that is in the causal way between our now and the occurrence of some sort of event in the future, such as heart attack, stroke, kidney failure, you know, damage to the eyes, things like that. They're all the problems associated with hypertension long-term. Um, so basically, they're the things that we're trying to prevent. Ultimately, it's like it's, it's heart attack and, and stroke that are the really big things that you're trying to stop because they can kill you, you know, and if they don't kill you, they can significantly affect your quality of life thereafter. So fundamentally, like you obviously care about your quality of life, but you also care about your quantity of life. And, you know, if you don't care about one of them, you probably care about the other one then. Um, so as a result, we have to think about, right, how can we actually reduce the incidence of, or, of things that can reduce those things that we actually care about, okay? And blood pressure is a surrogate marker that lies in that causal pathway. So, yeah, and just on that, like, I always look at, like, surrogate markers because it can be, like, a little bit esoteric when you think of it, but it's, a, it's kind of akin to, you know, planting a load of flowers and consistently watering them in the hopes that you get more bees, you know, or more birds or something, you know, um, like you might, might've got the exact same amount of bees visiting your garden or birds visiting your garden if you didn't plant these, but you have a better chance of bees or birds visit, visiting your garden if you do have a lot of nice watered plants, you know? So the, the surrogate marker is, you know, watering and planting your plants. But the thing that you want to affect is, you know, downstream of that. Yes, sir. And like 
like you can kind of understand why people might be skeptical of surrogate markers sometimes because it's like oh like why should i bother treating this thing like you know i because people are obviously aren't totally familiar with exactly how their position on the blood pressure spectrum might relate to risk of stroke or heart attack or whatever and it's a bit harder to conceptualize particularly when you don't have um any symptoms and like some surrogate markers are much better than others like blood pressure is quite a good one because it does satisfy essentially what you would want for a surrogate marker to be useful because it does predict the events that you're going to have so you know we can we can say when we look at the research we're like right people with higher blood pressure as blood pressure increases their risk of heart failure heart attack stroke etc does actually increase so that's one of the variables but also the other thing is like right when we begin to treat or modify this surrogate marker so blood pressure so when you begin to reduce a, a person's blood pressure does that actually reduce the number of, of events of heart failure heart attack stroke um, because you'd actually want that to happen for it to be useful and that is the case so in this case when you look at blood pressure you're like okay we know that it does predict these events we know that by reducing it or targeting it, targeting it, we can actually reduce the number of those events. So very clearly, it becomes something that's useful to then try and modify. Um, so that's essentially where blood pressure sits. That's why you should probably care about it because it is something that accumulates over time um, and can begin to cause significant problems in the long term. And it also does lie in in somewhat in the causal pathway of the development of other diseases you know it, it's, it can it can line the various sort of cardiovascular diseases various um kidney diseases um it can play into and with and between kind of the relationship between diabetes and heart disease so you have to understand that all these things do act together and it's never just about thinking okay it's just this one thing so and just just on that they, they can all seem like it's a quantity of life type deal even though again like having a stroke and being, you know, paralyzed is a quality of life kind of thing. Sure. Um, but the, the, the thing, and I, I'm only saying this purely because my friend listens to this and he loves when I say stuff like this. Um, but it's also a quality of life thing in terms of everything that you can do to improve your blood pressure improves your sex life, right? Like you have, you have to think of it, like I said in the last one, like, like boners and stuff, they, that, that's all influenced by all this blood, this cardiovascular stuff. So if you work on your blood pressure, you get better boners. You know, you also generally tend to have better body composition, better health metrics in general. So it, it is not just a quantity of life thing. It is a quality of life thing. So that's my sell on, you know, looking after your blood pressure. It's going to improve your sex life. <laughs> on a, a somewhat relevant note there as well. The uh, So when we talk about this hypertension, basically what we're always talking about is systemic hypertension so within the systemic arterial system but you do also have a pulmonary arterial system as well and if you have pulmonary hypertension so hypertension within the lungs like the main treatment for that is sildenafil aka viagra so i mean you know <laughs> there might be might be a, a bit of a this does bring it up into like you know stuff that you can do and stuff that you might not realize actually does influence into the system in terms of like some people take like pre-workouts and stuff and they'll have like citrulline malate in them and this is like a, a precursor for that whole, you know, uh, arginine, nitrogen, nitrous oxide system, everything, you know, and it's a vasodilator. And it's like, oh, why are you getting vasodilation? You're like, oh, for the pumps. And you're like, yeah, you realize that that's good for your blood pressure. And they're like, oh, unreal, you know? So <laughs> stuff like that. Or nit nitroglycerin is another one, which just as a complete side note, just because this is the kind of stuff that I, I think about 
especially in like the times that we're in and there's uncertainty and everything but anyway especially because ireland is like a huge producer of like dairy products and everything well one of the products that glonbia make is uh glycerol right and they say they sell it as that that bodybuilding glycerol i can't even remember what it is um oh yeah whatever it is anyway uh hydromax right um that's what they sell it as right but they also pump well, I think it's ammonia that they pump. I'd have to look at the, the systems a little bit more, but they pump nitrogen into you know, waterways as waste product. And obviously, again, you could think of that, like there's a circular system here where they're getting nitrogen from fertilized fields that the cows eat, that the fertilized fields were fertilized by nitrogen bought from a German company. And then Glanbia get the milk products and put that nitrogen waste into the water when it could just be recycled. However, a more effective way that it could be recycled, in my personal opinion, is to make nitroglycerin. Um, and you could go, oh, nitroglycerin, uh, that's for your uh, vasodilation. But I realistically just want Ireland to be one of the biggest arms dealers in the world by making nitroglycerin, which is another form of, you know, TNT uh, or explosives, you know. So I would love to see Glonbia Glan branch out. So if you're listening and you work for Glonbia or you know someone that does, if you think of all that wastewater that you put out, I think it's Wexford that they do it, and they have their cheese manufacturing down there. Um, any of that nitrogen that you're wasting, putting out into the the sea, impacting all the the mussels and everything. Everyone's environmental conscious, and they're like, "No, you can't do this." I'm telling you right now, there is profit to be made in making nitroglycerin pretending to market it to the medical field as a vasodilator and um, which again tnt is a vasodilator which is kind of fucked up when you really start to think about stuff um market it as a vasodilator but really just stockpile tnt be fucking way better use of your time but anyway that's just a complete aside and that'll just give you an insight into how my brain works yeah i heard it here first <laughs> um so yeah basically in summary blood pressure Coinamax is a surrogate marker. You should probably care about it if you don't want to die or reduce your quality of life in the long term. I think that's fair enough, you know? Um, which kind of brings us on to a very key thing, and that's like, all right, Gary, what? so what the fuck should my blood pressure be, okay? And this is actually more contentious than you might think, okay? Because it's been chopped and changed, and there's a a US EU bit of a disagreement going on here. Fundamentally and just even without the disagreement, let's be honest, they also have the weirdest imperial weird units for it. It's like milligrams oh, or millimeters of mercury above yeah. atmospheric uh pressure. You know? So rather than doing something like, oh let's use like a an actual, you know, SI unit like Pascals or something like that. Let's no, let's not do that. Let's just use millimeter mill, millimeters of mercury above atmospheric pressure. And it's like why? You know, so again, like these numbers that you're here, they are made up. Like they're actually not related to anything, like in terms of the actual number itself, uh that the measurement, like obviously it is related to your blood pressure, and that is related to like what we're trying to influence. Um but yeah, like the whole system is just fucked up. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And I mean like but so before we get to the actual the actual numbers, like think about like what are we actually measuring? Because I think that help, this helps you to kind of backtrack and like stick all the physiology and the numbers and the measurement together. It helps put it all together. So what we're we're fundamentally measuring is sound or lack thereof. So when you're when you're the classic way of, of measuring blood pressure is you know your doctor puts the cuff on your arm, they get their stethoscope, they pop it onto 
the brachial artery there, they pop it, pop it onto the front of your arm. And basically what's gonna happen is they're gonna increase the pressure in the cuff far beyond uh, the level that's going to occlude blood flow, so stop flow in that artery. So it's basically PF4 training, yes? Exactly. So stop flow completely through that artery. Then what they're listening for is the resumption of what's called the Karatkov sounds, okay? So the first one that you hear is going to be your systolic blood pressure reading. And that's based, the sound that that actually is, it is flow through vessel, okay? So it's not just the sound of like the heart muscle contracting, it's actually the first time that the blood can start to pump through again because the pressure is reduced and you begin to hear the sound of turbulent flow. So that the, the start point for that is your systolic blood pressure reading. And like, I think it's important to understand like why that actually is the case. So like, if you think back to our conversation about, about resistance, so when you put on that cuff, it increases the resistance, it's pushing all the muscle, the fat, the skin, et cetera, down against that vessel, it compresses it. And once your heart is strong enough, um, it basically hits its one RM. And if it's one RM is 140, so it can actually push, push through at 140, that's your systolic blood pressure, 140 millimeters of mercury, because your heart was pushing uh, pushing through that much. Then the diastolic reading is essentially when those sounds disappear, and that indicates that flow has resumed normally, so it's no longer turbulent, okay? So it's no longer, and when I say turbulent, you know, if you've ever been in a plane, you've experienced probably what's called turbulence, and that's when the plane is basically bouncing up and down, it's all over the place. And same thing kind of goes here when it comes to the flow of a liquid, the flow of blood in this case, Basically, the, the flow is real turbulent. It's all messy. It's all up and down. It's hitting off the walls. It's like a stream with a lot of rocks in it. Exactly. Rather than just flowing nice, smooth, laminar flow where all the all, all parts of that blood are moving at the same level. Okay, so that's essentially what we're measuring. And like ideally, um, like the, the typical kind of sound bite that you hear is like, right, blood pressure should be 120 over 80. That's kind of uh, the, the level that you should be at. And that's 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 pretty much true. You know, go, going below that can still you know be beneficial. Um, and sometimes you'll you'll hear one fifteen over seventy five over seventy five is kind of being the ideal level. And this is this is where you start to get a bit things start to get a bit less clear because you, you there's basically disagreement between the European Society of Cardiology um, and the American College of Cardiology on where exactly we begin to stage. Uh, you know, what's stage one, what's stage two hypertension, when do we tell someone they ha they are hypertensive, you know, what is pre-hypertension, when do we initiate treatment, um, etc. So like when you look at the American guidelines, basically you're going to be regarded as being hypertensive or having high blood pressure once you kind of surpass 130 um, over 80. So like that's, that's basically just kind of high normal um, in Europe. So like you've kind of got some differentiations there. So if I was to go to my doctor here in Ireland, you know, they might say, oh, your blood pressure, it's yeah, it's a little bit above normal, but it's fine. You know, no need to initiate treatment. Whereas if you were in the US, uh, they might say, okay, it's time to initiate treatment. For the purpose of this discussion, like that doesn't really matter. You're just trying to understand like where your blood pressure should roughly be. You're not going to be making treatment decisions. Uh, this isn't a medical podcast, but essentially once you begin to increase beyond 120 over 80, Regardless of what you call it, your risk does begin to increase, but essentially the benefits of lowering and the benefits, whether that be through lifestyle or drugs, and the benefits of administering more aggressive drug therapy, 
the, the, the benefits are going to basically increase the higher your blood pressure is. So you're going to get a, a better benefit. You can still benefit at lower levels, but it's just going to change the treatment decision. And the important thing to understand there is that, as I mentioned earlier, all of this is interacting with other variables. So whether or not your doctor decides that you need you know, treatment for blood pressure or what's going to be possible, that might depend on whether or not you're already exercising and you have your diet in order. Because for example, if you're training five days a week, you've been eating a real healthful diet for 10 years, you know, your body weight is, you're in good shape, um, normal BMI, you know, waist circumference is normal, healthy body fat. If you've got all that in check and your blood pressure is 150 over 100, then you don't have the same opportunity to adjust your lifestyle as someone who, you know, hasn't ticked any of those boxes already. Um, so it's important to, to understand that. And also that if you've also got, uh, you know, if you've got di diabetes as well, if you've also got, you know, uh, high cholesterol, um, you've got other risk factors for the development of these diseases downstream, you smoke, you drink a lot of alcohol, all of these changes, all of these things change your risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And hence, they're going to change the decision with regards to treatment. Um, and of course, that also varies with the level of blood pressure. You know, if you're coming in with 165 over 105 as your blood pressure reading, um, you know, your doctor mightn't just say, oh, yeah, just uh, change your diet a little bit. That should be fine. Like, it's unlikely that you're going to get, you know, a massive drop that much, um, potentially in some cases. But overall, I think it's just worth understanding. You know, we're not trying to make treatment decisions here, but worth understanding that all of those things um, can change the potential for you to reduce your blood pressure uh, and the decision your doctor might make, make when you're working with them. Uh, and it's also just uh, completely the opposite way. If you are of the opinion, you're like, yeah, I know I'm carrying a little bit of excess weight. You know, uh, it's not something I'm too concerned about. I'm, I'm healthy and you're measuring your blood pressure and it is quite high. Well, that is like you're not doing any of the general healthy practices. You're not exercising. You're not looking after your diet. But you're like, yeah, it's fine. Like, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit overweight. But, you know, I, I've been listening to this healthy at every size uh, or any size uh, movement. Um, and, you know, it's fine. Like they say that, you know, it's the, the patriarchy and, you know, we shouldn't care about what our, our body looks like and any of that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like I actually couldn't care less. If, like, if that's the, the belief you want to have, that's cool. However... Like this is a marker of health. And if you are overweight and this marker is, you know, elevated and you're not doing any of the practices that you could do to bring this down, like you're not actually engaging in healthful eating practices or lifestyle practices and getting this under control. Well, you're not healthy at any size, you know, like this is again, a, a marker of health. Now, again, we can argue about the, the validity of the exact number of what is the actual marker of health, but it is something that is modifiable and we know correlates with better health you know so just putting that out there yeah absolutely um, it is very easy to just kind of overlook these things and you know not even for people in that school of thought but also people who are you know they're they're into bodybuilding or they're into powerlifting and stuff you know? up, boy. sometimes people are people are like yeah i know you know my blood pressure is 150 over 100 but you know and they're red as fuck yeah. like it's just because I train, you know, something like that. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, long term, this might be uh, the best, uh, you know, you might want to think about that. Uh, so, yeah, like there can be. There especially, can be especially if you are engaging in the use of uh, performance enhancing steroids. Yes. But yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All this stuff does go get regulated. You know, again, if you think about it, it's the nervous system regulating, it's the endocrine system regulating. There's a lot of stuff that's going in between this. Anyway, I have nothing else to say. Gary, you look like you need to pee.
No, I'm good. All I wanted, I just want to finish by saying, by quickly, quickly touching on a couple of notes about uh, about measurement, because I think that's something that need that kind of does need to go in here. Uh, so basically, like at this point in the conversation, what you should understand is, you know, roughly uh, what blood pressure is, you know, some of the things that are regulating it, uh, how what we're actually measuring when we try to measure blood pressure, roughly where the ranges should be and why blood pressure, why you should actually care about blood pressure in the first place. Um, importantly, you know, there are, of course, additional nuances that go into like, that, like, as I said, that disagreement between different guidelines and stuff like that. Like, there's lots of nuances that go into those things. We will discuss them in, in, in an article or articles that we'll be publishing on blood pressure because obviously there's a lot more um, specifics that we'd like to get into. Um, but for now, the final thing that I do want to touch on is basically blood pressure measurement um, because some of us, like, you know, I have a blood pressure monitor, you have a blood pressure monitor, some of our clients have blood pressure monitors. But it's really important to at least have some idea um, of how you actually go about measuring these things, because measurement error is a very significant problem when it comes to measuring blood pressure, whether it be the size of the cuff. You know, so if you're really jacked, you might need to, yeah, you might need your doctor to actually get a larger cuff for you. You know, there's 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 a guy in my class, you know, he's he's quite a skinny guy and he needed to use one of the smaller cuffs. So, you know, that's. That's just that's just how it goes, you know. And you know, children they use they need to use smaller cuffs, obviously. So these types of things do, can affect the actual the actual measurement. So that's the first thing to to try and to try and nail down. If you are measuring from home, at least check uh, is this the right cuff, or if you're going to your doctor, especially if you're listening to this podcast and you're you know huge and jacked like me and Patty, like you might need to you know say to your doctor, hey bro, hit me with the bigger cuff, man. Um, you got my cuff. Yeah, thanks. Your little skinny, your little skinny arms. You know, being there, but there you go. <laughs> but other things on top of that, like that, if you do go to your doctor, what what you might notice if they might say to you, "Oh, oh your blood pressure is a bit high, but I want you to come back uh, in two weeks." So that's a, that's an important one. Is that if you're like you don't just uh, get a diagnosis of hypertension based on you know one blood pressure reading. Okay, so you need to have multiple measurements that's quite important here um generally like the way in within within a given context within a given measurement what you want to do is sit still for five minutes okay ideally prior to measuring your blood pressure you don't want to have had caffeine you don't want to have have just come from the gym you, you know you don't want to be smoking alcohol you basically want to be taking this uh, in, a, in a context where you are already relaxed take two or three measurements um, I think it's I think it's typically three, maybe just two is fine. But basically, the the one you're taking is the highest reading. Okay, so that might be kind of counterintuitive because a lot of us are like, oh, I'll take the lowest one, that's fine, or even take the average. But no, generally, your doctor is going to be interested in taking the highest one, and then kind of thereafter, there are further steps before you just say, oh, I've got high blood pressure. So there's also things like uh, ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. So typically, someone, if your doctor su suspects that you have high blood pressure, they'll give you a blood pressure monitor to wear at home for 24 hours. That includes during your sleep. Um, and then they'll have a specific cutoff for what the average should be over that 24-hour period because that's obviously giving you more insight rather than just this single measurement. Or it could be just a home blood pressure monitor that you take maybe a measurement every hour, you know, just to see how blood pressure is varying throughout the day. So that all gives you more information because there can be things that basically mask either a positive or negative diagnosis. So, you know, mo many people have heard of uh, the white coat effect or white coat hypertension, where when you go to your doctor, 
basically you're you know you're feeling a bit anxious you're feeling a bit stressed you don't like doctors um and as a result your blood pressure is a little bit higher than it would normally be so that's basically a, a false positive for the diagnosis of hypertension because if they were just to say oh this person has high blood pressure it could have just been that you were a bit stressed but also on the opposite side of things you've also got what's called masked hypertension so you know you could be someone who on average, your blood pressure is actually like 160 over 100. You've got signs of end organ damage. You know, your kidneys are destroyed. You know, your eyes are just in awful shape. It's like um, when your eye exploded that time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you've got you've got all the signs that like, all right, you've got hypertension. But when you go to the office, uh, or the office, that's just an American thing to say, um, to the doctor, to the GP. The doctor's office, yes. Yeah, when you go to the GP, uh, they basically say, oh, yeah, it's 118 over 69. Absolutely beautiful. You're fine. Go out. Go ahead. Um, so you can, it, can be, it can be a false negative or a false positive. So as a result. Especially if you're doing stuff you're like, oh, I did like 10 minutes of meditation before I did this measurement because I wanted to impress my doctor. And like, people do stuff like that. They're like, I need to you know, really bring it down. But it's not like you're not trying to catch yourself out. You're trying to get an idea of your day-to-day blood pressure. That's why that ambulatory, if I'm saying that right, I always said our word yeah. wrong. Uh, blood pressure like monitor is like generally the, the gold standard, if you will, yeah. because it gives you a lot more information of not only how your blood pressure is at a given moment, but also how it is across the entire day. And as we said earlier on, like your blood pressure does change at different points in the day. This also has to be taken into account when you are going to take a single measurement of your blood pressure. Like if you take it in the morning or you take it in the evening or you take it at 3 a.m. when you woke in the middle of the night, you know, like these are all going to be different blood pressure readings. And again, you can try trick yourself and be like, yeah, I actually noticed that my blood pressure is always lowest at 4 p.m. So I'm only gonna ever take my blood pressure at 4 p.m. That's not like, that's not what we wanna see. I'd rather see be like, right, I wanna take your blood pressure when it's at its fucking highest. And then we get a better idea of like, what's actually going on. Yeah, so measurement is an important thing. And I think one particularly important note to add in here is that like, obviously we're speaking very often to personal trainers like it's a very significant part of our audience and you know ultimately the purpose of trying to do podcasts like this and put out information like this is so that we can start to bridge that gap you know between personal training and people who are in the gym every day um and the kind of you know frontline you know we could say personal trainers are, are the frontline but you know and going to your gp and and being in the hospital that kind of medicine side of things okay and one thing to understand here is that sometimes personal trainers they're trying to you know show additional initiative um, and they start to take their clients' blood pressure to try and get an idea of where it's at. But what often happens here is when your client comes in on the first day to see you, a new client, you're taking their body fat and everything, they're shitting themselves. You know, that's totally normal. They're so anxious, they're stressed, they've been talking to their friends about it all day, you know, well, I'm going to I'm going to a new personal trainer, I've never gone to a personal trainer before, I'm real nervous about this first session, um, and, and oh God, I hate having my body fat taken, and you know, you've just spent 10, 15 minutes pinching their thighs, pinching their stomach or whatever, um, and now you're going to take their blood pressure. It's really important to realize that there's going to be stress and anxiety playing into that reading. Um, and that's especially the case with personal training where you're, someone is going to the gym. They may have been, might have been outside listening to Metallica for, <laughs> for the last 15 minutes trying to get hyped up or taking their favorite pre-workout, you know? So if you are a personal trainer and you're trying to get your clients to, to you're trying to get a measurement of your client's blood pressure, um, it could be worth, you know, doing something like once a month, you actually have a, a, an open office hours for four hours where your clients have the opportunity to, 
you know, come in and just take their blood pressure um, or whatever. You make you make that accessible to them, um, and then you try and replicate those those uh, those circumstances that we discussed already. Because, like, you know, I've I've seen people go on courses um, abroad, even where they've had their blood pressure taken, um, where blood pressure education has been provided, and in the in the middle, they're in the middle of a course where they've had three coffees. Everyone's watching them getting their blood pressure taken. They've only slept for four hours the night before and they were on a flight and, you know, they've got some edema that's that's increasing their blood pressure already because they've been flying. And in those contexts, everyone's like, oh, shit, my blood pressure is so high. But again, not a reliable reading, you know. So so they're the types of things that, that you do need to keep in mind. You also need to keep in mind that, especially if you are a listener outside of Ireland, where I think it's okay for you to measure your client's blood pressure in some states in America, you, that's illegal. Like it's not, I don't know if yeah. it's illegal, but it's not like it's not the role of a personal trainer you're not allowed to do it because i know we do have quite a lot of international listeners well international for us generally it's seen as international is outside of america but we are in the mighty era so international international is outside of us international is outside of Kerry, man (laughs) no sir the real world is outside of Kerry. um but yeah, guys, look, I think that's uh, that's the vast majority of what we wanted to get through. Number one, because we covered everything. And number two, because my laptop's on 3%. And as Patty said, I do look like I need to pee. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that, that basically the intention of this, the intent of this podcast was to cover the basics of blood pressure. So the different things that go into regulating it, the normal values, etc. everything that we discussed. What we will do after this is record subsequent episodes on what actually affects blood pressure in terms of what's modifiable. So things such as exercise, nutrition, sleep, uh, alcohol, smoking, etc. They're the types of things that we want to discuss, primarily exercise and nutrition, obviously, um, because then we can start to actually try and move the needle, you know, and, and obviously none of this is medical advice. And as I said, it's really important to understand, particularly in our, our kind of sphere of the fitness industry, that like lifestyle isn't always enough. And that's why you do need to, to kind of work with a doctor if you are having problems with your health, because very often uh, people can be resistant to that idea that medication might actually be beneficial in some contexts. But as I said, when we're looking at blood pressure as a surrogate marker, it's something that responds well to treatment and the subsequent events that we don't want happening, like dying, do reduce in response to treatment. So it is something that, you know, you, it is worth seeing your doctor about if you're having problems with it. Yes, sir. And um, I have nothing else to say except that everyone should sign up for the Coach's Corner because if you're interested in stuff like this and you're a personal trainer or you coach individuals or you're a nutritionist or you want to understand any any of this kind of stuff, this is where we're going to put our best information. So if you're like, oh, I'd love to see some case studies on how you would actually put all this stuff together, they'll be in the Coach's Corner, you know? Um, so if you're not on the, the wait list because there's a wait list right now in terms of we haven't launched it yet. Um, so there's no literally no you don't have to pay anything you don't have to commit to anything you literally just put your name down on a list and we'll send you out information and a significant discount as soon as you know the coach's corner is going to launch because we're probably going to do a bit of a pre-launch for the people that are on the 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 list Um, and then all the plebs who don't sign up they can get no discount and they can get it at a later date but We'll see how that goes. Other than that, I've nothing else to say. Join the Facebook community. Join, again, subscribe and all that fun stuff. 
on YouTube um, and join the email list. And uh, do you have anything else to say, Gary? It's too easy. It literally is. <laughs>